Mother's Day is over. And that is music to the ears of most folks in the restaurant industry. They may not say it out loud. Because there is a little more cash in the till today. But all the extra preparation, all the extra purchasing, and all those anxiety-ridden diners, well, let's just say that can make uh, the end of Mother's Day something that the people in the industry look forward to more than the beginning of it. But that isn't because they don't appreciate it. See, Mother's Day is the unofficial start of the dining season in a given year. After the holidays, only, uh, only Valentine's Day offers Oasis to the dry desert of business that crops up in the early part of the year. So the day can come and go without folks in the industry without having much chance to uh, reflect on mom. Today they get that chance. Fittingly, after service is in the books, of course. So today, we're taking Mother's Day out for a spin. We're going to stretch it out for a, with a week's worth of stories on the mother of all podcasts this week on Community Table. I can say without reservation that I am indeed a mama's boy. The person to give me the keys to the kitchen, that was mom. She's the same person who encouraged me to pursue a writing career. Of course, my mother loved to write too. The day she got a call from the Chicken Soup for the Soul publishers saying they wanted to publish a story she'd written about her brother was among the proudest days of her life and in the lives of my sisters and mine. Watching her grow as a writer and reach a plateau that filled her heart with joy was an inspiration in itself. Reminds me of a story Chef Jonathan Carell of Petrono told me about growing up in Philly, raised by a single mom. Oh, yeah. No, no. I mean, I've always grown up with food. Yeah, talk about... Like, my mom's huge, you know, she is a huge influence in my life. And, you know, she was always super supportive. And, like, you know, watching her grow, you know, like, coming from a single mom, raising two really rambunctious boys you know me and my brother like there was i mean there is always a cast on somebody's limb you know <laughs> when we were growing up like literally we were really hard on each other and really hard on her you know and she was putting herself through through uh you know she was getting her uh doctorate in uh psychology you know uh-huh. so she's and now she's you know she's a shrink and she's like a you know full-blown like director of you know like facilities you know she's like head honcho and just like you know we went from like having you know what she could do with you know a pack of top ramen and like that old carrot that was sitting at the bottom of the crisper you know she could turn that into magic you know and then now she's like you know and now she's you know super you know established and uh doing her thing and now it's just like so the food came early then yeah, yeah, but and also for my grandparents too. You know, my my grandparents were were both great cooks. You know, on both sides of the of the family, and uh, I, it was just always you know it would just you always knew something fun was going to happen if like you, people started showing up with food. Yeah, you know, and yeah. and uh, and or like you know the crock pot came out or something like that. You know, or, <laughs> it's a party. Here yeah, it's it's like <laughs> oh cool. All right, we're, oh we're getting fed. Something's going down. You know, <laughs> a barbecue or a birthday or you know just a family meeting or whatever. So you know, it was, we were definitely a food you know uh, a food family. But I just I was always really curious about it, you know. And I think you know I think what I, what it really meant to me was just that like you know what I like about food is that it's you know it's instant gratification. Yeah. You know I'm very impulsive person, so being able to see like 
whether it's good or bad, yeah. you know, a face can tell you a you whole lot set. of things, yeah. you know, yeah, absolutely. a whole lot of things, you know, an expression on somebody's face, you know, you can, you could definitely, you could definitely tell, you know, if you nailed it or if they're really not getting it or, you know, <laughs> so, you can read. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not much different than a band Yeah, you know, when you're on yeah. stage and you can kind of see if you're connecting this or not. This is for me or not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like. A chef has a way of knowing when you cook for someone, whether you're a chef or not, you know whether you've connected with that person. Right, or not. right, you for just, sure, for do. sure. Yeah, you know instantly. Yeah. So, and I think you know that's that's the beauty of it too. Chris Castro of Commonplace Kitchen had two generations of strong women who set culinary standards, making it impossible for him to accept mediocrity. It was eye-opening when he left home. Here's the story. My mom is, uh, anybody who knows her, I mean, I think she's over five feet tall, but she, <laughs> I, in my head, she's like four two. <laughs> she is the mightiest little lady ever. I mean, growing up, you know, uh, my friends, they had these moms that were just like really kind of like gentle and like, oh, come here. You know, and my mom like was like, what are you doing? <laughs> You know, like, direct. She's, yeah, she's very direct. <laughs> and, but, like, her her way that she spoils and loves you is with food and in the kitchen. And so I think, like, a lot of ways, um, my friends just ate it up. So it's like, you were going to come into my house. You were going to do something you weren't supposed to do. My mom would yell at you, possibly not even yell at you, just really sternly tell you, possibly send you home. <laughs> But it was worth that for the meal you might get if you if you played your cards right. And so I think that's like really kind of what sums up my mom. And it's still, you know, it's one of those things like – and she's very uh, – the cool thing is she's very respectful, right? So if I go to her house, I'm not telling her how to do anything. And as much as she has an opinion about how you do this and that, she would never come to my house and tell me. And so it's it's really been cool to, to see her respect that dynamic, you know, that she taught me very well. And I feel like I carry that on. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think she inspired me to get into cooking because growing up we ate such great food all the time, every meal. I mean, I took it for granted. You know, it's like I didn't – I you know, we grew up in Southern California and, I mean, I didn't have a store-bought flour tortilla until I was, like, way too old. <laughs> right. And by then I was like, gosh, this is terrible. Like, <laughs> What How do people, people eating? Eat? Yeah, <laughs> what's the matter with you? You know, it's like yeah, I was just like was blown away, you know, and um, and so it's just kind of one mean of those tortillas aren't just come out of the refrigerator <laughs> into the microwave, yeah. or oh. just served cold with oh. peanut butter oh. and cornflakes <laughs> on them. Or, yeah. Um, oh. But uh, yeah, so you know, she she just did all these things that we really took for granted. So then when, when I go to college, I'm like, man, I. I've had it great. Like, I cannot eat this stuff that everybody's eating. And so I think just like, you know, whether it's you get homesick or whatever, you just kind of crave some of those foods. So I just call my mom, and it was really a chance for us to kind of bond and, like, you know, learn. She she was able to teach me all these things that she that she always did. And she's a funny person to learn from because to her it's like, well, a cup of this. Well, <laughs> it's whatever cup is near her. Right. So it could be right. a coffee mug. It yes. could be – Half of that Sonic cup or whatever. <laughs> right, I mean, it's just right. whatever. You know, it's just put, like it's get a all, cup, put it yeah, halfway, <laughs> put I, it in there. Yeah, <laughs> and so it was really great to learn from her like that. And it's really something that, um, 
you know, my dad and I were real close and we had a lot in common. Uh-huh. And my dad was always the person I really looked up to. And I looked up to my mom, but uh, it wasn't as like – it was never like these things that was that were like, oh, it wasn't like I want to be like my mom when right. I grew up. You know, it was always like my dad. But my mom and I really had a connection through food and and um, and just the way that she she shared food. And um, oh, it, anybody came over, like the, the biggest disgrace in our house ever was if you didn't offer someone food. Right. Like I would get in less trouble for – being mouthy and doing something like that than I would for having a friend over and not offering them something to drink and some food. That was just like the height of disrespect at our house. And so I really like love that they put so much time and effort, my parents both, but really my mom, um, into feeding people and just kind of taking care of them that way. And so it's been really cool to just, um, you know, I think she's she's grown to be like a lot more, uh, not complimentary, but you know, there for a while, it's like, well, these kids don't know how to cook. You know? <laughs> to where now I think she's, like, really starting to be kind of proud of, you know, yeah, sure. you know my sisters and, sure. and myself just with things we make. And I think she just realizes that, like, we we wouldn't have learned all that stuff and had that great love for food if it wasn't for her. And it's really cool to see that. And I think especially even, like, I tell people this all the time, there's a salsa that I love making with dry chilies. Mm-hmm. And that directly comes from the last time I went to go see my grandmother in Mexico. My wife, Trisha, went with us. It was in 2006. We'd driven all night from just straight drive from Oklahoma into Mexicali. And we got there a little later than we thought we were going to. So, But it was 4.30 in the morning, and we pull up. And I'm exhausted. I've been dry. I drove 21 of those 23 hours. And I'm thinking, I probably want to go to bed, but I walk in her house and there's this beautiful smell. <laughs> and I'm like, Grandma, what is that? And she's like, oh, I didn't know when you guys were going to get here and you'd be hungry. So she had a big pot, like a, gosh, 24-quart pot <laughs> of goat birria. Oh, no. <laughs> and so it was like this, it's like this goat stew that she'd been making all day. And then there's a basket full of hot corn tortillas, salsa, all the fixings. So I remember my wife and I sat down at her little dining table, and I think, like, my mom and sisters might have, like, gone to bed. They're like, oh, we've, we'll wait for this in the morning. I, I was just like, I'm having this now. Oh, yeah. We sat down, we had this really great meal, and the then I slept knows. like a baby for, like, <laughs> yeah. four hours and then woke up. And, um, you know, and, I, and so when we were there, I was like, you know, I don't know when I'll see my grandma again. I was like, what's your favorite salsa? And she said, oh, it's this guajillo salsa. And so... Guajillos, honestly, weren't on my radar right. in 2006. I knew about a lot of other dried chilies, but I just hadn't ever played with those. So we went to the store, and she showed me how to make it. And to this – I mean, it's changed how I make salsa. Awesome. I make that all the time, you know, and that's the same thing. Like, my mom and her mom, that's the one thing they shared was food, you know. Awesome. They really were close to that because they, they weren't – like like my grandma, same way. She was not going to spoil you. She wasn't going to go buy you anything. Um, and if you got in trouble – I mean, it was worse at my grandma's than it was at home. So, but the one thing that, again, you hold out for that, like, great meal she was going to yeah. make you, you know, and so you yeah, were willing to do if all of it. you're working hard like that in the kitchen, you don't yeah. people fooling around. Yeah, you don't want anybody <laughs> fooling around. I mean, if we if we were misbehaving at all, my mom's like, well, you want to go live with your grandma for a month? Like, no. no. Nowadays, that wouldn't, you know, that's not a punishment. That's, like, Yes. Parenting is the greatest undertaking an individual will ever accept. Besides wisdom, you need strength. Ben Knuckles, who is Chris Castro's partner at Commonplace Books, 
shares this story about his mother. When you ask that question, there's like a million. Two, well, there's really two kind of extremes yeah. that that come to mind. So, um. And the first one's like a little bit sad and I might choke up. So it's sorry. Okay. Um, is my mom has been chronically ill my whole life. Okay. Um, so there's this life my mom lives mm-hmm. and then there's also this life that my mom wants to live. Right. Um, right. But can't. Right. Um, and then sometimes through periods, you know, through my childhood, she'd have, you know, stretches where she was – feeling good and she would go hard and fast and then she would crash and mm-hmm. you never knew when she would come back out, you know, out the other side. So it's like, um, you know, two things come to my mind. I think the first is my mom helped show me how big the world was. Um, as a 16 year old, she chaperoned a, um, youth trip to Nepal Wow. For a month. Wow. And so my mom, myself, my younger brother, um, and a handful of friends in our community, um, my mom chaperoned like the seven or eight of us to go to Nepal for a month, really just to like experience the world in a way that we had never experienced it prior to. Yeah. And that was that was the summer between my junior and senior year of high school, I was 16 years wow. old. I hadn't turned 17 yet. And as you would, like, I returned to middle America, you know, <laughs> fundamentally different. Yeah. Um, having had my kind of worldview and perspective and experienced enlarged. Um, and so, I mean, like, that's a moment in time that, like, I can, you yeah. know, I can point to and just say, like, Man, I will never be the same as a yeah. result of having done that. Um, and then I went on, you know, through my 20s to be able to travel the world, you know, a half dozen other times for extended periods um, and got to drag other young people along um, <laughs> along with me. Um, so I think of kind of this like global aspect, you know, to the relationship and experience I've had with my mother. And then I also think about like, due to her illness and being confined to her home and even more so confined to even her bed. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know anybody who has done more with so little than kind of the square shape of that bed that you walk in. And sometimes she's so sick that like she's almost in like a comatose state and there's oxygen mask on her face and she is dead to the world Mm -hmm. and other times you'll walk in and she's fully dressed and makeup and hair done but she's on top of the covers like a good day for my mom is the difference of being under the covers or on top of the covers um and that's really like it's not who she is but that's the the the, 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 where i have found her um, most of most of my most of my life, but I've never seen, like I was saying, anybody do so much with so little. My mom has this uncanny ability to create space for people. Mm -hmm. And I've watched babies to like grown men crawl up on top of my mom's bed Mm -hmm. and get lost in conversation. 
um, in a way that they wouldn't have any any anywhere else. Um, my mom's just an amazing conversationalist. She's beautiful and she's smart and she's creative and she's articulate and she has a mastery of language um, and she's always writing on just about anything within you know arm's reach you know so she's she'll she's she's the kind of lady she'll send you a letter you know that she's written in the front cover of a book so she just tears the cover of the book out and puts that in the mail you know so again I think it's like. So I'm, I'm, I'm a, like on the surface, I'm a lot like my dad, mm-hmm. you know, like we have, a, like, I think Chris and I are maybe similar in that regard. Like the dad, the dad was the figure, right. you know, he took me to basketball and he sat through baseball and football practices mm-hmm. and through high school, he met me at the golf course every afternoon. And, you know, he was my person, but like, yeah. there's something about my mom that's just fundamentally, you know, woven in me, you know, as a conversationalist person, you know, she's taught me in modeled how to like hold space for people and mm-hmm. value conversation and dialogue and that exchange really cool. um and uh and it certainly you know it translates in you know into my life it's like I, i'm a lover of people um and they don't frighten me um and they're worth knowing and they're worth giving time and listening to and that's directly attributed to my mom so i've got this like you know large view of the world thanks to her you know and i've also seen the beauty of doing a lot with a little thanks to her adulthood gives us all fresh context about our parents we see their struggle in a new light chef shelby sieg of the pritchard shares the heartbreaking tale of losing her mother when she was only a child. Shelby, you mentioned your mom is a, is a driving force and in, in influence in your in your culinary background. Yeah. But tragic story behind your mom right yeah let's talk about it so uh, my mom was incredible um she was an incredible cook and mm-hmm. was the epitome of in the in the best sense of the word the officer's wife yeah. she was not the one that was caught up in the politics of it but she was the one that was volunteering at orphanages mm-hmm. and um was flying um organizing and getting relief planes flown down for hurricane andrew before anyone mm-hmm. else could be be there and doing it and she was getting um her, she was a teacher. She was getting her ESL students a tour of the West Wing of the White House when we lived in D.C. when no one else could to inspire them, um, you know, to want to to be better and and take advantage of, of the resources they had in the U.S. And so um, service was always part of her heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, you know, my sisters and I really just aspire to be like her a lot. Um, it also came at a price. Mm-hmm. She, you know, the pressure that that went with that, and um, and unfortunately, some mental illness, mm-hmm. and um, and so there was just a, a pretty rough part of my childhood sure. from about nine o'clock, uh, nine age nine on, mm-hmm. and uh, and she passed away when I was twelve. Yeah, um, through some addiction issues. Yeah. you know, from the mental illness. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we've on the, on the podcast here, we've talked about it. You know, and, and we have we have 
made it clear that going forward, we're going to talk about these things yeah. because they're real things that happen to real people like you and me. Absolutely. And real people like that are listening to us out yeah, there. It's you know? important to talk yeah. about. And if we if we if we hide from it, then it then we uh, invite it to cycle on. Right. Forever. And well, ever. and that's the biggest thing we didn't talk about when I was yeah. growing up. You know, my friends were always like, why is your mom always in bed? Why is your mom yeah. sick? Um, yeah. And it was just kind of like a, you didn't really talk about it. Yeah. Um, it's important yeah, to talk about. It is. It is. Tell me a little bit about how how that tragedy and and, and sort of the you know the, the the key word on any tragedy like that is endurance. Yeah. Because that's all your that's all you have. Right. To defend yourself. Right. Anything like that. Tell tell me a little bit about how that what kind of person that made you that 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 kind of endurance challenge early on. Uh, I think um, the best word that comes to mind is probably defiant. Um, yeah. Because yeah. you know you you deal with things the best way you can. I was twelve. Years Years old. That's a really terrible time to lose your mom, mm-hmm. um, especially having gone through what what we did and the lead up to that. Sure. Um, and so, not really having that um, mother figure that was a kind, um, you know, caring, giving human mm-hmm. um, was hard. It was yeah. really hard. It's a big. It's a big vacancy. It's a, it's a, it is, yeah. and especially my dad, when you're a kid like that. Yeah, and my dad was, you know, at the time a colonel and yeah. uh, traveling just all the time and so um, things at home were not the best um, with just because of the kind of instability in that yeah and my dad is an incredible human being (laughs) and I um, you know through no fault of his own and he did everything he could and and just about you know bent over backwards all the time coaching teams for us and doing all that so he was definitely there but it was hard Mm -hmm. and um, and so that that's the biggest thing I think just um, you know defiance or um, Imagine, Endurance. I, I imagine that during that time in the aftermath of all that, you probably had a lot of well-wishers. But I am certain – how old were you? Twelve. 12. Yeah. I am certain you had a lot of – oh, you probably got tired of people looking at you like they felt sorry for you. Right. Yeah. You know, And that would certainly fuel a defiant – attitude yeah absolutely because it's nice you realize and at 12 at 12 it's probably a lot harder to there's you, you don't you don't under even understand what the word nuance means right so when these this n- huge number of people is is being sympathetic towards mm-hmm. you it, it, it's they're trying to do the right thing right but it has a uh, it has an effect on you after a while it does and also i hadn't ever met anyone that had been through the same thing right Right. Um, and so there's there's no way to do that back in those days. Right. Even really, not You'd, quickly or anything no, like that. No, no, yeah. absolutely not. And there was yeah. no comfort in that whatsoever. I had a million yeah. people around me that were wishing me well, mm-hmm. and I'm thankful for them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. There were some times when I just wanted everyone to go away. Yeah. Um, just don't look at me like that. Yeah, yeah. Just um, let me grow. Let yeah. me do my thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Working moms are more common than not these days, but that hasn't always been the case. Ned Shadded, owner of Ned's Catering and Ned's Starlight Lounge, grew up with a mother who rarely left the kitchen, but not the one at home. has a mom that works you know especially from that era in, in the area you grew up in probably more moms than not were at home absolutely and 
you know, like I said, the first I remember, there was a Sheen's Drugstore in Penn Square before mm-hmm. it was a mall. Yep. And my mom and dad had the fountain there, which probably sat about 70 or 80 people back in those right. days. You well, know, drugstores were big places yeah, to eat Yeah, at. for sure. She was on the grill there. I remember AMC a little bit yeah. later in life, a couple of years, but she was on the grill there mm-hmm. at Leroy's at 50th and Meridian. She was on the grill there. It's just what she did. Wow. Wow. So is that who you model your uh, hamburger-making skills after? That and, and Ed. And, and, and evolved, yeah. yeah, with him when you met and him. And you can remember Ed worked for mom and dad, so yeah. he kind of got a little bit of what he did from them, and then I got what I a little yeah. bit of what I did from him, just kind of passed through cousin to cousin. I'm always curious where these inspirations come from. I mean, that's key. You, a lot of times you'll you'll find it comes from a lot of the same people, sort of comes out of the same Absolutely. people. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's, that's why I'm always curious to know, like, I think we all have in our life when we have people that are really important to sort of, that sort of nudged us in the direction that we needed to go, whether they're doing it on purpose or not. And usually starts with a with a parent. It's not always a parent, but it usually starts with one. And so, in my case, it really did. And then, like I said, going into Ed, and of course, I just by default kind of got away mm-hmm. from burgers for many years. And did the catering, which we really enjoy. Yeah. But now that we have the starlight, I'm able to do some burgers <laughs> again, and I just I love it. Yeah. So you you get back there in that kitchen and flip some burgers every now and then, do you? Yeah. I mean, I don't have to. We have a yeah. we have a fabulous staff. Yeah. But oh, absolutely. Yeah. All these stories about folks and their mothers leave me with really just one thing to say. Thanks, Mom. All of you. It's the hardest job any of you ever had. And really all we can ask is that you did your best. I know in my case, mine did. Thanks again. Postscript. When I think of the mother of all Oklahoma City restaurants, I think of a little lady from Case, Kansas, who didn't stand five feet tall and never had any children of her own. She raised her own siblings when her mother passed away at an early age, which delayed her education at then Kansas State College. She got a little bit of a late start. And when it came time after college to get her first job, she worked for free because she said she'd never done anything before and it's the only way she knew how to prove herself. Her name's Anamod Smith. And Anamod did not open the first cafeteria in Oklahoma City, but she opened the most important one. Anamod was where the standards were set, the standards that would later lead to Oklahoma City becoming known as the cafeteria capital of the United States. I know cafeterias are not the coolest restaurant. You know, there's there's not a lot of social currency in saying you're the cafeteria capital of anything. Not these days and not in if you're listening out there most of us in our lifetime. But in the 1920s, the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, cafeterias were as nice as anywhere in town. And in this city, they were nicer than most places in town. 
And the reason is because of this four foot ten dynamo named Anna Ma. She opened her restaurant in the, in the summer, I believe, of 1929, maybe 28. And it only lasted about 50 years. And it's and it spawned many, many, many followers. The beautiful thing, though, that this mother of our restaurant industry, our dining scape, the beauty of her was she didn't see them as competition. She saw them as partners, colleagues. She didn't try and beat them. She tried to help them get as good as her. I remember talking to Bill Geist, the longtime owner of Lady Class and Cafeteria, a number of years ago, and I asked Bill about Anna Maud, and he told me she would come in later in service, and she always sat in the back corner. Before she left, she would wave Bill over and invite him to sit next to her where she could politely rattle off a list of things she thought he could improve. And Bill told me he never took offense because he knew Animod really did only have his cafeteria's success in mind. She knew, or at least she believed, all the cafeterias were her children. And you know, when uh, her nephew Bob Smith opened the Queen Anne cafeteria in the 60s, I believe it was, he said at the time, I'm naming it after my, my dear aunt, Anna Maud, who is truly a queen. And the mother of all Oklahoma City restaurants. Next time on Community Table, Dad gets a chance. Tune in next month. Thank you.